The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I am delighted to welcome my guest, Ms. Kimberly Seals-Allers. She's an award-winning journalist, five-time author, international speaker, and strategist for maternal and infant health. A former senior editor at Essence and writer at Fortune Magazine, Ms. Seals Allers is a leading voice on birth, breastfeeding, and motherhood at the intersection of race, class, and policy. She is the founder of Earth, as in birth, but without the B for bias, the first-of-its-kind Yelp-like review and rating app for women and brown women and birthing people to leave and find reviews of OBGYNs, hospitals, and pediatricians as a digital tool to address bias and racism in care and bring transparency and accountability to the medical system. Ms. Seals Allers was named one of 21 leaders for the 21st century by Women's E! News for her media advocacy work on maternal and infant health. Kimberly's fifth book, The Big Letdown, How Medicine, Big Business, and Feminism Undermine Breastfeeding, was published by St. Martin's Press in 2017. Earth is a project of Kimberly's nonprofit called Narrative Nation, which creates community-centered media and tech to eradicate health disparities. For nearly a decade, Ms. Seals Allers has created and directed innovative community-partnered projects in New Orleans, Birmingham, Detroit, and Philadelphia, among other cities, all to improve birth, breastfeeding, and maternal health outcomes. She is a graduate of NYU and Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. She's the mother of two, and she's based in Queens, New York. Welcome, Kimberly. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we were both Kellogg Fellows, and that's how I first found out about your great work promoting breastfeeding as this first food. We talk about the uterus as a baby's first environment, and breast milk and breastfeeding should be the route for a baby to get its first food. But you have discovered that that's not always so easy to do, especially if your skin is black and brown. How did you become interested in this area? Well, that's such a great question. And I think like many folks, you know, I became interested really driven by my own experience. I, one, had a not-so-great experience around breastfeeding support at the hospital where I was consistently saying I was breastfeeding. It was written on my baby's card in her isolate, and they kept giving my baby formula against my wishes, and I was completely confused as to why this was happening when I wanted to breastfeed. And then I was looking for lactation consultants and there were none in the area where I lived. I had to travel about 20 miles back to the hospital to get a support group. And, you know, when I started thinking through all the barriers, I was like, what is going on here? (laughs) And I think that like many people, I had read the messaging that breastfeeding is easy and it's natural. And unfortunately, my experience was anything but. And so I really started to wonder 
why this was happening to me. And as I began to use my platform as a writer to speak about this and write about my personal experience, what I found was that I was not alone and that many people were having this experience. And also I saw a distinction between what was happening amongst my white girlfriends and what was happening among my black girlfriends, right? And so while we were all kind of dealing with the policy barrier of a lack of paid leave and you have to rely on your employer to make sure you can have some meaningful time off to really establish and continue breastfeeding, what I found among my black friends was that we didn't know anybody else who had breastfed when we were breastfeeding. Even in my own family, the same women who have supported me through undergrad and graduate school and in my career said things like, breastfeeding is for poor people. Why are you doing that? And I was just completely confused and flabbergasted at the the comments I was receiving from my family. You know, I ended up being a first-generation breastfeeder. My mom did not breastfeed me. And so these were things that were more unique among black women. And as I began to do the research and try to understand my experience and what part of it was unique to me and what part was happening in my community and also universally for all women, those layers of distinct experiences became clear to me. And so that's really what got me started in digging deeper, thinking about how I could research, how can I learn what I do as a way to shed light on this issue. You bring up so many important issues. I see breastfeeding not only as a public health, the core public health component for infant health, but also as a social justice problem where we need to pull back the curtain on the inequities and access to health care that make breastfeeding out of reach for many black and brown women. So I actually did some research in preparation for this interview, and I happened to stumble upon an American Civil Liberties Union piece that was on the challenges of breastfeeding as a black person. And I found a statement here that I thought was quite interesting. It said that more black women have Medicaid as health insurance, or are uninsured compared to other groups. Although the ACA requires coverage of all recommended preventive services, including breastfeeding education, lactation consultants, as you mentioned, and breast pumps, these benefits are not available for the majority of people in the 14 states with large black populations that have opted not to expand Medicaid. I had no idea that that was part of the equation. Never have I read an article that points a finger at how not expanding Medicaid puts black women and their beautiful infant children at risk because they cannot more easily breastfeed. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I both know that that is, unconscionable, unacceptable, because we know the public health benefits and how actually not extending it is perpetuating health inequities. But I think the reason why you don't hear about it is because there's a narrative that black women don't breastfeed anyway. So why would that be something worth clamoring about? If you look at it historically, and I talk about this in my book, breastfeeding has been seen as something that white mothers do. And so certainly there is support for them to do it. But when you look at the narrative of black women, even what happened to us when we were enslaved, the narrative has been always something else. So certainly during slavery, we were stopped from breastfeeding our own children and forced to breastfeed the children of our white slave owners and of the oppressors. And this caused black women to be to have a disrupted motherhood experience and to kind of inherit a cultural or historical trauma that said breastfeeding was something that we did for other people 
something that we did not do for ourselves, something that reminds us of a time that we'd rather not think about. And we have this disruption of our, really, our motherhood experience because your first job as a mother is to feed your baby. And when you're forced to give that food and nurturance, we know breastfeeding is about food, but but there's a bonding, there's, there's an emotional connection that you're forced to give to someone who's oppressing you to the detriment of your own children. None of us can fully understand what that looks like and felt like, and none of us can really explain What's the historical trauma of that? I mean, if you look at even after slavery, many women of color, black women specifically, did not have access to other types of jobs. So wet nursing became one of the few things that black women could do, right? And so now we are still being kind of used for our ability to make milk for other people, but not something we did for our own children. And so we really have to take a historical long view as about when we have these conversations about policy and legislation, why black women are often not included in that breastfeeding conversation and how that disconnect began and has continued over the years, which is why we're in a reclamation right now around trying to bring breastfeeding back to the black community because it was something that we did a lot of before. So it's very complex. It is. And I have never seen a discussion of breastfeeding around the topic of slavery I wanted to bring something else up that you had said earlier, and it surprised me because I hadn't heard it before. And that was that you had heard that breastfeeding is for poor women. Who owns that message? Where did that come from? Well, actually, if you look at it, it came from the infant formula company. I was born in the early 70s. And at that time, the marketing message was that formula was the quote unquote substance for sophisticates. And so it was marketed as the sophisticated thing to do and for people who had money. And at that point, it was beneath you to let a baby eat from your breast. And so if you look at any kind of immigrant community, which black people behave as economically and socially at times, when you said that being sophisticated meant using formula, black people bought in. They bought into that because, again, the story about them had always been where uncivilized, where we're untamed, like all the negative things. So when we're sold a marketing message that says this is how you show that you're sophisticated, right, then you buy in and black people bought in. And so that idea that it was something for poor people, certainly we know that we think about the hippie movement, which certainly happened amongst white people, kind of also participated in that. But if you look at the mainstream conversation, White women have had a number of celebrities who have also showed the other side of that equation, right? So, yes, there may be those in the white community who think breastfeeding is for hippies, but they could look at Angelina Jolie, you know, Kristen Bell, like all the white celebrities who've made breastfeeding a very celebrity thing to do. And we haven't had the same reversal of that narrative in our community. It's happening now, but historically it hasn't been there, right? Like Beyonce mentioned breastfeeding her twins. We were super excited. Everybody was excited, but we can't wait for Beyonce to keep popping out more babies. That's not a sustainable strategy. But we have to recognize that the story of who breastfeeds and why has been mostly detrimental to black women and their babies. Yeah. It's so interesting that you bring that up about celebrity. And I was thinking about Beyonce, how she was promoting Pepsi. How detrimental is that to children's health, everyone's health, but children in particular that should not be drinking sugary sodas? And yet, what a missed opportunity for her to be promoting breastfeeding instead of Pepsi. Wouldn't that be a a great ad campaign to have more black celebrities doing this? 
Yes, and I, you know, she talked about breastfeeding, but you're right. She also did do the Pepsi thing, and I, I think that people just don't make those connections, right? They, they don't see those that connective tissue, and that's unfortunate because, as you know, our food system overall is failing people, and the ways that things are marketed can be very different. And I don't know if Beyonce did Pepsi as a mother, and I'd be really curious if she would do Pepsi again. I have to look, but very interesting because I do think that since she has become a mother herself, that her sensibilities and nuances have been a little bit different. Yeah. Well, there's probably a lot more money in promoting soft drinks than there is in promoting breastfeeding, right? Absolutely. Undoubtedly. (laughs) Right. You know, you were a Kellogg Fellow. You were focused on breastfeeding. When Mm -hmm. I was a Kellogg Fellow, I was focused on media literacy. And so when you brought up this issue of my question about who owns the message, the infant formula companies have been very successful. And when you mentioned the sophistication, right? Like, oh, the mothers that stay home. And I remember an ad specifically of a white mother sitting in front of a window. It was clearly, you know, later than 8 a.m. She was not going to work. It did not appear to be that she was going to work. She was in her robe and she was breastfeeding her baby. And through media literacy education, I learned that that was a very well-designed ad showing women that white women and women who had the luxury of being at home were breastfeeding. So if you weren't in that class, then you were going to be using formula. Absolutely. And I think that, unfortunately, today, breastfeeding remains a class-based privilege, right? Because if Mm -hmm. we think about the lack of policy, who, like, we still don't have a federal paid leave. We're hopeful that it's coming soon in this administration, but I believe the statistic is that 25% of women in the U.S. go back to work 10 to 14 days after giving birth, right? Oh. So if you're going back to work in 10 days, is breastfeeding really an option for you? Right. Oh, my not, gosh. Right? No. And so without the policy, we're really stuck without with people either eking out their own way. So either you have an employer who's giving you some sort of paid maternity leave, right? And so for that, I mean, I was able to pump in my office at Fortune and take one year off, much of it unpaid, but at least my employer gave me that option, right? And so, but that's a privilege. Yes, it is. So if I worked at Starbucks or Walmart, if we look at, you know, kind of across the socioeconomic spectrum, it becomes possible for those who may have an office, for those who, excuse me, may have an employer that's going to give them a paid leave. But for those who are kind of stuck only with the federal options, you don't have an option. Yeah. Absolutely. These are all such critical issues to discuss in great detail. I need to take one break because we're halfway through and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ms. Kimberly Seals-Allers. She is an award-winning journalist, five-time author, international speaker, and strategist for maternal and infant health. And we are speaking about a big focus of your work, Kimberly, and that is on Black maternal health and infant outcomes and breastfeeding being, of course, at the heart of that. In recent years, of course, I've seen the extreme benefits of breastfeeding versus formula feeding. And it used to be where, at least when I was delivering children, we were told that, you know, it's a choice. You can either use formula or breastfeeding, didn't matter. And of course, we learned that it does matter. And we're learning so much more about how breastfeeding supports the infant microbiome and how that impacts our lives for entire lives. So again, we have to get back to promoting breastfeeding for all people and solve some of the social barriers. You know, you talk about this issue of not 
breastfeeding is really a product of systemic racism. And I think we have to reveal it for what it is. And I also think that we should talk a little bit about the WIC program, because this Mm -hmm. is something that many of us are, we support the WIC program. We think this is great. We're going to help women, infants, and children, that's what it stands for, who are poor get access to healthy foods. And you had mentioned in an earlier conversation that 60% of infants born in the United States are WIC eligible, which means that those infants are likely to be food insecure. They come from homes where poverty is the norm. And I was reading about WIC, and it says here that the current formula company rebates of $2 billion to special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children, that's WIC, are equal to 32% of net WIC expenditures. What that tells me is that poor women who are reliant on WIC are encouraged to use formula number one. And number two, it's telling me that my tax dollars are being funneled into infant formula companies. So yeah, I mean, it's complicated. Basically, we know that 60% of infants in this country are born WIC eligible. So we have a huge nutrition program that is designed to support families, but it is literally dependent on infant formula rebates to survive. And so while we are out here promoting and talking about breastfeeding, the WIC program remains the largest infant formula purchaser in the U.S. And so WIC has made, to their credit, they have made great strides to promote breastfeeding, but it often feels like a mixed message. What we found in our community work that the Kellogg Foundation was supporting me to do for about seven years was that because it was coming from WIC, because it was coming from a government entity, it was almost as if the formula had a government endorsement, right? It must Mm. be good. Our National Nutritional Agency is giving it to me. And so that becomes a big barrier to scale when you're trying to promote breastfeeding when the idea is that formula is free and easily accessible. It becomes a much harder proposition when we're trying to explain why it is. And then when you couple that on some of the barriers, particularly uh, black women are facing, whether we're talking about lack of multi-generational support, the ways that many times they do not get professional education, people assume that they don't. You put that on top of the ways that WIC is being promoted, formula is being promoted via the WIC program, it becomes a really difficult thing. When I was working in Detroit, we saw vendors who were literally incentivizing infant formula purchases for WIC participants, where we saw signs that said, if you buy this much of formula, you'll get free diapers. And they were all Uh. targeting WIC participants to purchase their infant formula at their particular retail outlets with incentives. Um, And so how can WIC do more to set more guidelines? Some states do, but some states don't, about how vendors can promote formula, particularly in black and brown communities. And I think that's really the issue. The bigger beast, we're not going to be able to bring back into the barn, as it were. Well, it's my understanding that if a WIC mom is breastfeeding, she gets a higher value of a voucher to support the extra calories that she needs to breastfeed. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. But if she chooses the infant formula, she might also get this other incentive, which is free diapers, and who can resist that? I mean, that's a really big perk. It is, and I saw the gamut. I saw free pizzas. Of course, who doesn't want a night off from cooking? We saw one that was raffling off a television. I mean, it was really ridiculous. And so the ways that vendors are allowed to promote infant formula purchases to work participants 
is also something that needs to be addressed by WIC, right? And so it's like, yes, you have this infant formula, which should be there for those who need it, but what is really the first line of defense here, you know? And I think that what happens is, and this was a very telling conversation that occurred literally on the line of CVS, where there were two moms online. One was purchasing infant formula. I literally walked into this conversation. It was just like, oh, my God. And the one mother said, well, I'm on WIC, so I've got the formula. And the other mom said, well, I don't qualify for WIC, so I'm breastfeeding. Right? Wow. And I was just like, wow. Wow, 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 wow. And so the socioeconomics for the mom who's not WIC eligible were that she wanted to reduce costs by using more of her own breast milk. The socioeconomics for the WIC eligible mom, or WIC participant, was that there was no cost advantage for her. That advantage was not there. So perhaps we could have got her on nutritional benefits, et cetera, et cetera. But that idea that breastfeeding costs time and money, which it does, was not there for her. So she just went for the formula. And I think when we look at it, it's absolutely backwards and upside down. It is. And this same article in Breastfeeding Medicine showed that a recent study found that current suboptimal U.S. breastfeeding rates cost the U.S. economy $13 billion per year. That was based on $2,007 for pediatric mm-hmm. health cost and premature death. Cost data of excess maternal diseases are not yet published, but are thought to be substantial. And little is known about other costs. But think about just, let's look at ear infections and literacy, things that help a child succeed in school to be well through those early years. We know that breastfed babies, for example, have far fewer upper respiratory infections, ear infections, Mm -hmm. gut problems. Yeah. Reduced risk of type 2 diabetes, reduced risk of obesity, two things that are really common, particularly in black and brown communities, and then the benefits to moms. And I think the most important thing that we really try to stress, particularly to black families, is that it's not just about breastfeeding, it's about the birthing experience. And I think in the breastfeeding world, these two events have been decoupled, and it's one of my pet peeves, and that we need to bring them together. And I say that because one of the biggest reasons why breastfeeding is an infant mortality issue is that black women disproportionately, regardless of income or socioeconomics, give birth to babies who are born too small, too sick, or too soon. Right. This has been proven that black women, the the stressors of racism, the weathering on our bodies, all of that means that with prenatal care, with income, with education, you are still more likely to give birth to a baby who was born too small, too sick or too soon. That baby needs breast milk the most. And so if that mother has not been educated, supported to understand the value of breastfeeding, even for a full term baby, now that her baby is a preterm or low birth weight, now that baby really needs breast milk, but she hasn't been kind of activated to to do that for her baby. And that is often a cause of infant death, the necroenterolitis. You can probably say better than I can, Melinda, but some of those issues which can be related to breast milk versus being formula fed when you are preterm or low birth weight are critical. And so this is why in our communities, especially because of how we birth, regardless of our best efforts, this becomes a real health issue, and it becomes something very much linked to why we have a higher infant mortality rate. Mm, So important. We just have a few minutes left, and I want to give those minutes to you, and I am assuming perhaps you would like to talk about your app so (laughs) that more black and brown women can tell their stories. What would you like our listeners to know? 
Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, via our nonprofit, we've created the first Yelp-like review and rating platform for black and brown women and birthing people to find and leave reviews of their OBGYNs, birthing hospitals, and pediatricians. One of the things that is clear is like this system needs more transparency and accountability, and we're not going to get there by keeping data and information locked away in secret databases and behind closed doors. And so we really try to, on the front end, create this mechanism for black and brown folks to see what their community thinks of a provider, right? We feel like your community is an important resource you should be looking into, so you can go into the app, leave reviews. You can also search by your zip code or by hospital name to see if other people of color have left reviews and see what their experience has been like. And then on the back end, we turn those qualitative reviews into quantitative data so that now we can work with hospitals directly so that they can improve their care, particularly of black and brown patients. And that's where we're pushing for systemic change, right, that we need to be giving more detailed information to the hospitals so that they can improve how much and how well they care for and, re- and provide respectful care to particularly black and brown patients because we know this issue has become a deadly one for black women. Um, I live in New York City where the black maternal mortality rate is 12 times that of white women, 12 times. And so we really have to pull out all the weapons and tools and we're here to uh, deploy a digital strategy around more transparency and accountability on the front end where we're publicly sharing where we're getting good care and where we are not and then sharing this more detailed data on the back end so we don't talk about bias and the abstract notion that we can literally start detailing what it looks and feels like to the people who are being most burdened by the issue and then develop solutions to address it. So that's what I'm really excited about. And when you're going through our birthing review, you are asked about doctors, nurses, and lactation consultants. So we're looking to learn more about in-hospital experiences of breastfeeding so that we can make sure that experience also improves for black women, which we hope can be key to increasing the duration of breastfeeding in our community as well. I think this is a wonderful tool to empower women to find the services that they deserve. And I think you could probably take those stories, turn those into a manual for policy change. Mm. Is there Good point. Is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I want everyone to know that in addition to the great work being done, there's Black Breastfeeding Week, which happens every year, August 25th to 31st. I'm the creator and co-founder. So I would love people to take time to learn about this issue, how we all can play a part, and that if we get it right for those who are being most harmed by the system, then we can get it right for everybody. So that's what we believe, even when we look at Earth, that yes, it is a tool that centers black and brown folks, but our goal is to make the system better for everybody because it's a tide that lifts all boats. So please learn about our work, learn about what we're doing, Black Breastfeeding Week and all year long around breastfeeding disparities and can learn more about the specific webinars and and other things that I do to address both of these issues on my website. That's fantastic. Well, we've got to close because we're out of time, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Kimberly Seals-Allers, award-winning journalist, founder of the Earth App, maternal and infant health strategist, Do check out her book in 2017, The Big Letdown, How Medicine, Big Business, and Feminism Undermine Breastfeeding, which is a sociocultural exploration of the economics, politics, and culture of breastfeeding in America. Her website is KimberlySealsAllers.com, 
And also, if you're interested in the Earth app, we will provide a link to that as well. And that's simply www.earthapp.com. And I'll provide a link to both of those. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for being my guest and for all your great work. Thank you for having me. 